Let's pray. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we pray now that you will help us to understand your word, to think hard about putting it into practice in our lives, that we may live uh, with Jesus as our Lord and as our Saviour and make him the first priority of our lives. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I know there are some people in our church who are really suffering. Uh, your life is hard, and, and it's hard for you to be a Christian. You're facing all kinds of troubles, uh, insults for being a Christian. But overall, I think you would agree with me on this, overall, the people of our church are prospering. We're doing very well in life. Most of us are healthy, uh, we, we, we eat well, we exercise and keep fit, we have excellent to, uh, access to excellent medical care, and we expect, we expect that we will live long, healthy lives. Most of us are well-educated. Nearly all of us finished school. Uh, most of us did some kind of further study, and we expect, we expect to be wise and well-educated. And so most of us end up with good jobs and careers. We're able to do work that is interesting, work that is satisfying, work that's financially rewarding. And so we expect, uh, we expect that we can pretty much have whatever we want. Whatever we want, we can buy. We expect to own real estate. We expect to own cars. We expect to uh, enjoy the latest toys and gadgets and technology, whatever they are. We also have the blessing of living in a free and stable country. And that brings expectations as well. We expect that our government will care for us, that our police and armed services will protect us. We expect that they'll protect us from anyone who would seek to harm us. And we expect to be able to be openly Christian. We expect to be able to talk about Jesus, come to church. We're not scared uh, in our church service that the, the police are going to come in here and take us all to jail or anything like that. We feel safe, we'll, we feel confident, and we expect that that's, that's normal. Overall, we are a people who are prospering nicely. Uh, it's certainly true for me. Admittedly, I haven't had the greatest run of health in the last 12 months, but with the help of excellent medical care, I'm back on my feet. And so here I am, 50 years old. Do, do you know what? That is way older than the vast majority of people in our world have lived. But I don't expect that I'm at the end of my life. I could easily have another 30 or 40 years of joyful living in front of me. I, I enjoy good health. I've had many years of education. I have a job that I love. I'm well remunerated. Thank you very much. I live in a, a lovely house. Thank you for providing it. I have not one, not two, but three cars. Uh, basically, I can afford any kind of technology or toys that my family want. Um, uh, each week, uh, each week I can uh, stand up here and talk about Jesus or, or I can talk about Jesus to people through the week and I have really no fear that someone's going to come and arrest me. I've got no fear of any negative consequences really. I mean, occasionally people fall asleep when I preach or <laughs> not everyone laughs at my jokes but, but mostly people are very grateful, very positive when I tell them about Jesus. I have a nice life. And it's easy to take it for granted. It's easy to expect that this is the way things will always be. It's easy to think that this is normal, uh, even that this is what I deserve or I've somehow earned. 
for the most part, we are a prosperous people. Healthy, wealthy, wise, safe. Uh, people are nice to us. People treat us with respect. For us, that's normal. That's what we expect. And so, for us, this letter of 1 Peter can seem a bit strange, a bit, a bit distant, because Peter is writing to a people who are suffering. They've been exiled from their homeland, scattered throughout the, the nation of Turkey. They're getting abused for being Christians, and the government of the day is not at all sympathetic to them. We see it again here. We see it again here in 1 Peter chapter 4. Peter talks about how his readers are having a tough time, uh, what Peter calls a fiery ordeal. Now, maybe that's related to what we saw last week. Do you remember their friends and family and workmates are, are insulting them because, because of how they've changed since they became Christians? Or maybe this is uh, talking about a more systematic and official persecution of Christians under the Roman Empire. Certainly there were times in the Roman Empire when Christians were targeted, uh, even times when being a Christian could get you the death penalty. Whatever the particular crisis was at the time that Peter is writing, Peter addresses his readers, and the first thing he says is this. He says, don't be surprised. He says, this is normal. This is the sort of thing that Christians should expect. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 12. Have a look with me. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Have you ever heard the term expectation management? Expectation management. It's a bit of a buzzword in uh, business circles. It means it can mean lots of things to di different people, but in, in the context that I'm using it, it means that you tell your client exactly what you're going to do and exactly how you're going to do it and exactly when you're going to do it so, so that they know what to expect. Their expectations are managed. Uh, expectation management makes a big difference to how clients feel about the work that you do. Let me give you a purely hypothetical example. Imagine you have a builder. Uh, he tells you that he's going to do a development for you. He tells you it will cost $1.7 million. And he says it will be finished definitely by early October 2018. As I say, purely hypothetical example. Well, how would you feel, hypothetically, when the bill is $1.9 million and it's April of 2019 and you're still waiting for your development to be finished? I would say, hypothetically speaking, if it were ever to happen to me, that, that, that I'd be feeling a bit disappointed. You'd be feeling negatively about the builder and his work. But what if at the start, the builder told you that your development is going to cost $3 million and won't be finished till the end of 2019? I guess you might not have accepted the quote in the first place, but, but if you did, well, things would be very different. You'd be feeling very differently if the project came in at $1.9 million and was finished in, hopefully, May of 2019. Well, you'd be feeling really happy about it. You'd be feeling very positive about the builder. Can you see? The builder does the same thing. What the builder has done is no different, but what has changed 
is what the client expected. It's a question of expectation management. Well, here in chapter 4, Peter is managing expectations. He says to Christians, expect suffering. Expect persecution. Don't be surprised. That is normal Christian experience. But Peter talks about more than just expecting suffering. He goes on to tell his readers that they ought to rejoice about their suffering, to find joy in their suffering. Now, this is not some kind of masochistic thing. It's not the suffering itself that should bring joy. But Peter gives a whole heap of reasons, a whole heap of benefits that come with suffering so that his readers can rejoice in the face of suffering for Jesus. First thing he says, it's an interesting expression if you think about it. First thing he says is they are participating in the suffering of Christ. When Christians suffer for Jesus, they're somehow sharing with Jesus in their suffering. What do you think that means? That we share in the suffering of Jesus. Peter probably means something like this. Uh, Jesus suffered for a purpose. Jesus suffered to pay for the sins of the world, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. Jesus died on the cross to bear the punishment of our sins. He bore our sins in his body on the tree. Jesus died and suffered to save us. But, but in order for anyone to actually be saved, they have to hear the message of what Jesus has done so that they can put their trust in him. That means Christians need to tell them. Christians need to stand up and stand out for Jesus. They need to live and speak openly and boldly for Jesus. That means Christians will suffer for Jesus. Put it all together. Christians who suffer for their faith are joining with Jesus in bringing salvation to the world. Paul talks about filling up in himself what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ. Very interesting expression. Jesus suffered to pay for sins. Christians suffer to get the message out to the world so they can be saved. And so Jesus and the Christian are sharing together in suffering for the same purpose, the same goal. If you think about it, that is an extraordinary privilege. You could be working with Jesus, sharing with Jesus in his suffering as you suffer for him. Well, Peter reckons it's a reason to be able to rejoice when we suffer for him. But even more than that, secondly, Peter says, those who suffer for Jesus can look forward to joy. At the final day, if you faithfully endure through suffering, you will be thrilled at having suffered for your Lord. You'll have the joy of having suffered for your King. And then a third reason that Peter says that his readers can rejoice in the face of suffering is this. He says that the fact that they're trusting in Jesus and standing firm in the face of suffering, that is evidence of the work of God's Holy Spirit in their lives. It shows that they have the Holy Spirit. I'm sure you're aware that in the modern scene, a lot of Christians get very excited about the idea of having God's Holy Spirit. And they'll give you all kinds of tests, all kinds of tests to see whether you have the Holy Spirit. I was hearing recently about a church on the northern beaches. In their services, they, they press a coin up against a wall 
And if the coin sticks to the wall, they take that as evidence that the Holy Spirit is with them. Not quite sure what Bible verse they get that from, but anyway, other people look for different evidence. Maybe miracles, or maybe what people call speaking in tongues. Uh, people, people long to know that they have God's Holy Spirit, and, and they're looking for any evidence. Well, here's the Apostle Peter's evidence. How can you know you have the Holy Spirit? Ask yourself this. Am I suffering for being a Christian? Do people insult me and call me names because I'm a Christian? If they do, there's your evidence. It's good evidence. As you endure insult for Jesus and you stick with him, it is clear evidence that you do have God's Holy Spirit. You couldn't do that without God's Holy Spirit. And so once again, it's a reason to rejoice in the face of suffering. So three reasons for Peter's readers to rejoice in their suffering. One, it's a participation in Jesus' suffering. Two, they can look forward to great joy when the glory of Jesus is revealed. And three, it is evidence that they have God's Holy Spirit. It's all there. It's all here in these next verses. Verse 13. 13. So don't be surprised by suffering, but verse 13. Rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Peter reminds his readers, there's no benefit in suffering for doing the wrong thing. If you suffer for doing evil, you're just getting what you deserve. But if you suffer for Jesus, there is no shame in that. In fact, if you suffer for the Lord Jesus Christ... That's a reason to praise God. Verse 15. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. And Peter now gives another reason why his readers should, should praise God when they suffer as Christians. It's a bit of a difficult one to understand. He says, if you suffer as a Christian... You should praise God because it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. What do you reckon Peter means there? What does it mean that the suffering that we experience as Christians means that it is time for judgment to begin in God's household? I guess he could mean that... Um, the suffering that Christians face on earth is part of what we deserve for our sin. It's God's judgment on us in that sense. But I think in context that's not what Peter's talking about here because he's just said, um, he's just said you don't want to suffer for doing the wrong thing. So I don't think he's talking about suffering that we deserve. Here he's talking about when we suffer for doing the right thing, when we suffer as Christians. So what does he mean by saying that this suffering is, is judgment beginning with God's household? My guess, I think the idea is, is it's something like what it says back in verse 12. Back in verse 12, Peter told his readers that the fiery ordeal that was coming on them, did you notice? It's to test them. The suffering shows whether their faith is genuine or not. So with that in mind, I think what Peter means here by judgment beginning with the household of God is this. 
God is bringing suffering to the church to, to, to sort out who really belongs to him. To, to show who is of God and who is not. The, the judgment that this is talking about is a, is a, a separation, a discernment. It's a judgment that sorts out who belongs to God and who doesn't. And the Bible does talk about judgment in this way. Uh, so, for example, the Lord Jesus talks about Judgment Day and he talks about uh, the, the, the sheep being separated from the goats. I think this is a similar idea. The, the, the suffering that Peter's readers are experiencing shows who really belongs to Jesus. The, the, the suffering of the church now shows what will be seen on Judgment Day. It reveals now who is a sheep, that is those who stick with Jesus, and who is a goat, that is those who fall away. Now, when Judgment Day comes, the whole of humanity will be sorted out. Uh, we'll see exactly who belongs to Jesus and who doesn't. But here in history, the process begins as the church suffers persecution. And Peter goes on to say, it's going to be hard. It will be hard to be saved in this way. Hard to endure suffering. Hard to keep on following Jesus, no matter what the cost. Uh, it, it does mean walking the narrow path, as Jesus put it. It does mean enduring suffering here on earth. Peter says, doesn't matter how hard it is, whatever suffering you endure for being a Christian, you stick with Jesus because it is nowhere near the suffering that will be experienced by those who reject the Lord Jesus. So here's a reason that we should be able to praise God in suffering. God is showing you here and now that you belong to him. If you stand up and endure through suffering, that is a prequel to the sorting out on judgment day. And if you're standing firm, you can praise God. You can know now you are a real Christian and you'll belong to God forever. Verse 16 again. If you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, well, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it's hard for the righteous to be saved... What will become of the ungodly and the sinner? You don't want to be them. Now, Peter summarises in verse 19. He says, If you suffer for living God's way, you should commit yourself to God, entrust yourself to God, stick with God, and you need to keep on doing the right thing. Don't use it as an excuse for sin. Keep on doing good. Now, notice here, um, Peter calls God our faithful creator. It's not all that common an expression. In, in scriptures, it's, it's beautiful here though, isn't it? Because we're not, we're not entrusting ourselves to a powerless stranger. No, no, we're entrusting ourselves to the one who made us, to the one who gives us everything that we have and are, to the one who, who counts every hair on our head, to the one who sustains our every moment. The, the, God is powerful, God is trustworthy. It is no mistake to, to entrust yourself to him and to continue to do good. Verse 19. So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Okay, can you see what's here in this passage then? Peter's readers are doing it tough. They're facing a fiery ordeal. And Peter says two things to them. First, don't be surprised. This is normal for Christians. This is what you should expect. 
And second, Peter calls on them in the face of their suffering to, to rejoice, to praise God, to trust God, to, to keep on doing good when they suffer. As they suffer, they're, they're sharing in Jesus' suffering. They can look forward to the joy of having suffered for their Lord. As they stand firm, they can know they have God's Holy Spirit and they can see now what will happen on Judgment Day. They can see now that they do belong to Jesus. Now, suffering is not good in itself, but suffering, suffering faithfully for Jesus can bring real benefit to Christians. And so Peter says, stick with it and rejoice. All right. Let's think about applying this passage to ourselves. Two things for us to think about. First, expect suffering. And second, dealing with suffering. Expecting suffering and dealing with suffering. First point is this, we should expect to suffer. Sounds simple. But you know what? It runs counter to the teaching of many modern churches. Uh, there are lots of churches around, even here in Sydney, some of Sydney's most popular churches, who say that Christians should expect to prosper. Uh, that, that God's will is to bless us now with health and wealth and wisdom and peace and success. At my children's school, there are people from a very large church on the northern beaches and they keep on teaching the children this stuff, this kind of thing. They say to the kids, if you have faith, God will bless you with a successful, prosperous life. Now, I admit it is true that on the North Shore and northern beaches of Sydney, Christians often do prosper. As I said at the start, it is true for most of us. But still... I reckon this prosperity teaching is an insidious and dangerous, dangerous teaching. It is dangerous, firstly, because it is contrary, it is the opposite of what the Bible says. These people say expect prosperity and blessing. That's the opposite of what Peter says here. It's the opposite of what Jesus says as well. Peter does not say expect prosperity, expect a nice life. Peter says expect suffering. It's contrary to the Bible. It's not just contrary to the Bible, though. It is bad expectation management. Because the fact is, even the most healthy, wealthy and wise of us are only going to be healthy, wealthy and wise for a few short years. Soon we're going to get sick. Soon we're going to lose loved ones. Soon we're going to suffer in some way or other. And eventually, for all of us, as we lie in our coffins, we will all be sick and poor and stupid. The prosperity gospel is a terrible thing to teach people. If you want your children and yourself to be resilient in faith, it is the worst possible thing you could teach, especially to children, because suffering is coming to all of us. And if we don't expect that, then when it comes, our faith will be in jeopardy. We can think that God isn't real, that he doesn't love us, or that he's broken some promise that he didn't even make. Or we can even add to our suffering the guilt that we've somehow brought it on ourselves by some lack of faith or something like that. It's pastorally so incredibly insensitive, this teaching. If we are going to help ourselves, if we're going to help our children to be resilient in faith, we've got to correctly manage expectations. So friends, let me be perfectly clear about this. God's plan for you is to suffer. Don't be surprised when it happens. That is normal. That's application point number one. Expect to suffer. 
application point number two is this, uh, dealing with suffering. Now, we are, for the most part, are people who are prospering. We have very nice lives. So what do we do with this passage and, and the suffering that it promises? Well, I think the first thing we should do is say, thank you, thank you, thank you, God, for the nice lives that we have. Uh, thank God for our prosperity. Our prosperity is, listen to this, our prosperity is an unexpected blessing. Our prosperity is an abnormal blessing. And so we ought to be grateful I mean, all things being equal, I would much rather prosper than suffer. I'm sure you're the same as me on this. And so we ought to say, thank you very much, God. A uh, second thing, though, uh, we shouldn't seek suffering. Nowhere in the Bible does it say we should want to suffer. But what we should do, and particularly when things are good, is we should commit ourselves to not let that comfort and prosperity become an idol. But to say, no, 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 no. I'm going to commit myself to live openly and bravely for Jesus. I'm going to seek to please God in the way that I live, whether that brings suffering or not. We should put trusting Jesus and living for him above our comfort and prosperity. And we need to resolve to do it now. Most of us are prospering now, that's fine. But we need to resolve to do it now because times will come when living for Jesus will be uncomfortable. It will cost us. We'll have to choose between comfort and Jesus. And we've got to have it clear in our minds. We've got to resolve now to prepare for then. We need to resolve, I'm going to put Jesus first anyway. We should thank God for our prosperity. We should seek Jesus, even if it means suffering. And then finally, we should learn from what Peter says here. If we do suffer, there are actually benefits that we can reap. And if we do suffer, we should remember and welcome those benefits. It's fine to be prosperous, but the reality is when we're prospering, we're actually missing out on a few things. We're missing out on participating in the sufferings of Christ. We're not partnering with him in suffering to bring the gospel to the world. At the last day, we won't have the joy of, having, of looking back and going... I suffered for my Lord. And we do miss out on that, that kind of testing of our faith that should steal us. We, we don't get the opportunity to show the genuineness of our faith and the reality of the work of God's Spirit in our lives. In some ways, we're, we're missing out by being prosperous. And you know what? It probably does make us a bit soft. I'm not saying seek suffering, but remember there are benefits. Well, friends, most of us live prosperous lives. That is something to thank God for. But remember, it is an unexpected blessing. So when suffering comes, we should remember these benefits that Peter has told us about so that we can rejoice, so that we can praise God, so that we can not use this as an excuse to sin, but, but continue to do the right thing, so we can commit ourselves to our faithful creator and continue to do good. Let's pray. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for the Lord Jesus Christ who suffered for our salvation. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you help us to be willing to live for him even if it means suffering for us. Father, help us to put Jesus first, no matter what. And do give us strength when suffering comes to stand firm, to commit ourselves to our faithful creator and continue to do good. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.